Welcome to Second and Short. It is November 16th, 2022. We had uh, a, a relatively eventful weekend in college football, so that's where we'll start. Um, we'll just start off with probably the most, Im- the most fun to watch game of the week. I wouldn't say it was the most important when it really comes down to it, but uh, the most fun to watch, which is going to be number nine, Alabama, barely getting out of Oxford. Uh, thirty to twenty four final, and uh, Brock, I just want to hear your initial thoughts on this, but I am gonna hold you back a little bit. I mean, it was a great game. Uh, very enjoyable to watch. I feel like everybody liked watching it. There were some misplays by Ole Miss that really set them back. There were some horrible, horrible, horrible officiating. They missed several personal fouls, several pass interferences. Um, I mean, there is a lot they missed this weekend, which. I mean, wouldn't have really that would have changed the game, yeah, but would it change it too much? We don't know. But I mean, they they missed a lot, and then especially in the second half, we just came out. Uh, Ole Miss came out flat and um, just looked like just didn't look like they did in the first half. Ole Miss most all year been a great first half team, but then it comes to the second half, and they don't play with the same energy, the same fire, and uh, I don't know what that is. So hopefully that's something they can get fixed here in the next few years under Lane Kiffin. But I mean, this is a hell of a game, and I think this is something. This is a very good look for the Ole Miss program looking to the future. Yeah, I I agree with what you were saying. Um, I do want to you know give the Alabama team a little bit of credit because they did limit the penalties, whether those were missed calls or not. They limited the penalties and it got them the win. So Bama is now two and two when they have more than six penalties. Uh, one of those, uh, a very narrow victory against Texas in week two. Um, but it, it does go to show that when this Bama team uh, plays disciplined and they go out there and they just play their game, they do well. Bryce Young throwing the ball all over the place. Uh, they were really spreading it out between who was running the ball. And I think that is ultimately why they won. But uh, I'm going to tell you why Ole Miss didn't. And it's going to be that Ole Miss played well. Um other than that final drive. You know, yeah, they came out pretty slow in the second half, but they should have scored a touchdown on that final drive. And and I'm not sure if it was the play calling or if it mainly had to do with Jackson Dart, but Quinchon Judkins gets you 50 of the 55 yards that you gained on that drive. You get up to the Bama 14, and it goes Jackson Dart incomplete pass. Jackson Dart run for no gain. Jackson Dart sacked for six yards. Jackson Dart incomplete turnover on downs. How do you let that happen? Your top offensive player in Quinshawn Judkins does not get the ball once on the final draw or on the set of downs when it's a touchdown or lose situation. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I don't understand that either. I mean, he is. Pretty sure statistically the best running back in the SEC right now as well. I mean, the most rushing yards. I think I'm pretty sure he's uh, the most broken tackles in the SEC and like top five in the nations. I mean, in the nation, he's has an incredible resume. And, you know, they were, uh, I'm not going to, I can't really say too much, but uh, I mean, disappointing the play calling there. But, you know, there's a, we, there, there's a lot of good things to take away from the game too for both sides. I think this definitely shows. Uh, Bryce Young is still an amazing quarterback, um, as well as 
I think it's time. They definitely need to get rid of uh, Bill O'Brien as your coordinator. Yeah. I swear, in that second half, they let Bryce Young start calling the calling the plays, and they look so much better. Yeah, they definitely had a shift after the half. Um, but this just um continues the very long, long history of Saban just kicking the hell out of his former coaches. So, uh, we'll probably just leave it at this: is that uh, Lane. Cannot stop getting humbled by daddy. You know, something I do want to uh, say that right before we end this is goes back to last week. I'm pretty sure I said this about Michigan. That's what makes Nick Saban so great. It's he's able to go into halftime and make the adjustments to win the football game. And yeah. that's been very few. I don't know why, but it's very hard for I'm I'm not a coach right now, obviously, but it is very hard for a lot of coaches to go into the locker room and make those adjustments at halftime to make his team better and give him the opportunity to win. And Nick Saban for uh, my entire lifetime now has always been able to do that, and that's why he is the GOAT. Yeah, I agree. Uh, So we'll move on to probably the most important game of the week when it comes down to Selection Sunday coming up in a couple of weeks. It's going to be number four, TCU, beating number 18, Texas, 17-10. And my my initial thought, like when I read seventeen ten, and then I realized this was a Big Twelve game, I probably would have believed you first if you told me it was a million to a million and one before I believed you when you said it was seventeen ten. I, I have to agree. I was not expecting it to be that low scoring, but uh, I'll give TCU this: they were able to go in Austin and and pull out a win there. That that is what they needed on their resume to prove they deserve to be a top four team. Yeah, I agree, and and we kind of uh, almost uh, downplayed their ability last week, saying that Austin is a tough place to play, and you know we didn't see the greatest stuff out of TCU's offense throughout the season, and this was another game where we still didn't really see great stuff out of the, the TCU offense, but the Texas offense was horrible. You had Quinn Ewers, 17 for 39, 171 in the air, one interception, and then your star running back, I, I believe he's number one draft prospect in Mel Kuyper's uh, like early big boards. He's only got 12 carries for 29 yards. Like That is ridiculous. And then on top of that, Ewers only had three receivers catch a ball. Yeah, I'm, that's something that, uh, I mean, you got to have offense to win a game. But for TC, that's like I was uh, just mentioned. They really did this win, and they really came and showed up. Their offense, their offense played well. Do not get me wrong. Uh, I think they could have played a little better, but I mean, they needed this. They're that they really showed that defensively, they belong there as well. They know they really stepped up. That defense stepped up when they needed it, and they were able to get get that win. I mean, and I think that is really big for them. I think that might put them at a higher ranking spot than what we would imagine. Not too sure still. Uh, I still think that the committee is going to just keep it how it was um, after you know these results from this weekend. Uh, I do want to give uh, a shout-out to Kendra Miller, the running back for TCU. He had a great game, 21 carries, 138 yards with a touchdown, uh, and that touchdown was a 75-yard touchdown run. So he, he kind of was their primary source of offense, you know, Duggan was 19 for 29, 124, and one passing touchdown. But, um, yeah, I think 
I think this is kind of the game that will most likely lock it up for TCU. Uh, I, I don't see them losing any more of their games, except, you know, maybe uh, I'm, I'm not too sure who it's looking like they'll play in the championship right now. Um, but I, I don't see any teams in the Big 12 really beating them, especially after this game. I, I fully agree. I think um, I think they're going to be able to run the table here. I don't think, like, like you said, I want to sound like I'm repeating, but I agree. I don't think anybody's really going to be able to step up to the plate in the Big 12 here to knock them off. We move on to who we thought was going to be the representative of the Pac-12, uh, possibly in the college football playoff, uh, which is Oregon. Uh, they lost to number 25, Washington, and you know, this kind of ruins the allure of next week's matchup, uh, which is going to be Oregon and Utah, um, because uh, Oregon's really not in a place to make the playoff anymore. Uh, with two losses, it, it kind of throws you out of contention, and that's what we've seen across the history of the playoff, is that um, you got to have one loss or zero to make it in. Um, yeah, the do... only two-loss team that can make it to the playoffs this year is Louisiana State University. If they win the SEC championship, they deserve to be in playoffs. Yes, agreed. Um, I want to talk about Washington's quarterback, Michael Penix. Uh, he transfers here from, I believe, Indiana uh, was where he yeah. was at last year. And, oh, my God, did he have a day. 26 mm-hmm. for 35, 408 in the air and two touchdowns. Yeah, he had the interception, but he had this offense rolling. And this was a a Pac-12 game, about as Pac-12 as it gets, because it doesn't matter who you play any week in the Pac-12. You don't know who's going to win, and you've just got to keep fighting. It's a game of execution in the Pac-12, and one one mistake will lose you the game. doesn't matter when. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I haven't really given Pac-12 too much love at all since we started this, and I think uh, everybody can see now. I I don't believe USC will make the playoffs. There are too many good uh, one-loss teams ahead of them. I think the Pac-12 is always going to be just kind of there. I don't know if they're ever going to really produce a uh, contender anytime soon. Maybe USC or Oregon one of these years in the near future can su- surprise me, but it's not really looking like they're going to do too much. Yeah, and, and like I said before, is that this this whole conference really comes down to execution, and Oregon missing the field goal uh, going into the half, it, it killed them because it would have tied the game up, um, you know, in retrospect. Yeah. Uh, but we'll move on to what I'm calling the Group 5 game of the year. Um, it's going to be UCF defeats Tulane, uh, number 22 UCF, and number 17 Tulane. Um the the main point that I have from this game is that John Reese Plumley is a great dual threat college quarterback, and that's it. Yeah, um, John Reese Plumley. Plumley, there's a lot he needs to work on still. Um, he, I agree, he is a great college dual threat quarterback. Uh, but I think when it comes to the possibility of going the forward into the future to the NFL or somewhere like that, he uh. He definitely has a lot of work in his passing game. Um, but, I mean, he's a really fun guy to watch. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up in the CFL or uh, the new, those smaller league football, the USFL or um, the WWE one, XFL. 
I mean, he's a fun guy to watch. So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he makes something like that, but I just could not see him really doing too much in the NFL. Yeah, I agree. And now that he's a, a redshirt senior, he doesn't have much time left. Uh, but one place that he also could go is the MLB. Um, he played baseball at Ole Miss. Uh, he's going to be playing baseball at UCF this year. And um, he didn't play great at Ole Miss, but you know, coming out of high school in Mississippi, the number four prospect in the state, um, he's got a chance to probably go pro and at least play a few years in the minors um, and just see where that goes. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, one heck of an athlete, so he. I wouldn't be surprised if he makes it somewhere to get played to play sports, uh, but we'll have to see. Uh, he's got, like I said, he's got a lot of work in football. He's a great baseball player, but uh, he was just on the old Miss team when he was there was so good. It was hard for him to get it. I mean, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was behind an All-American. And then yeah. the next year, there was a freshman All-American that uh, we recruited to come in and uh, that played over him. So, But he definitely, uh, being down at UCF, he's got a chance in both football and um, baseball to be able to go to the next level. And I think the best thing about UCF being, you know, they're, they're a good school and all, but I love that Auburn fire Gus Malzahn made a whole big deal about it. Now Gus Malzahn's probably going to go to a – New Year's Six Bowl game has nothing to worry about, and he's still being paid by Auburn. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, Gus definitely got the uh, the nice end of that stick. But uh, the last note I've really got from this game uh, is that Michael Pratt, the quarterback for Tulane, looked really good. Uh, 23 for 39, 236 in the air, uh, three touchdowns. He had a great game, and they just fell short, uh, mainly off the back of John Reese Plumley having like 180 rushing yards. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, both these teams, the group of five, I, I would 100% say these are the two best group of five teams uh, out there right now. Um, I think not playoff worthy, um, but I do believe, uh, I mean, they both have really good coaches with Gus Malzahn. I mean, he has the national championship under his belt, and then um, – Oh dang! I've got the head coach's name at Tulane, but he played at or he coached at Georgia Southern for a while. Uh, he when he was the coach Willie Fritz, that's his name. Yes, he was the head coach when Georgia Southern moved up to Division One, won the first uh, Sun Belt Championship. The first year he was the coach, won Georgia Southern their first bowl game. Then uh, him and Georgia Southern decided to part ways. Goes to Tulane and has been having a lot of success success at Tulane. I mean, he's a good coach, and I think uh, Tulane's just going to do nothing but get better under him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I've started to see Tulane a lot more in the last couple of years, and, and I'm pretty excited to see what they can do. Uh, they're definitely a team that I think, uh, with Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12, I could see Tulane hopping in to fill a spot. I mean, and they have a very good uh, spot for recruiting. They're right there in New Orleans. You know, they, they have the state of Louisiana, so they can uh, kind of like what the uh, uh, Billy Naper and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns did. They would keep the top players in Louisiana that don't go to LSU. They would keep uh, – they still want to stay in Louisiana, so they'd go to the Raging Cajuns play there. So we'll see uh, what uh, Willie Fritz can do and uh, getting the, keeping that team, uh, how, how he keeps them going. Yeah. Uh, and, and we'll move on to the last uh, big outcome of the weekend, which is uh, unranked Arizona beating number 12 UCLA. And obviously, like we've said before, and, and we've said with the Oregon game is 
this is just another weekend for the Pac-12. Yeah. Like, there, there's no defense on UCLA's side this whole game, and it completely screwed them. Um, Dorian Thompson-Robinson looked good. He didn't look great. Uh, on the other side of the field, Jaden Delora looked amazing, uh, something that we really haven't seen from him this season. Um, uh, we've seen him in the past. I believe he was there last year. Um, and then definitely this year, we've seen a couple of good performances. We haven't seen him had a game like this. 22 for 28. 315 and two touchdowns like that is some very good numbers from a team or from a player on a team that had i i think they i think they have four wins now yeah i i don't even know if they'll make it to bowl game but hey that's the highlight of their season they'll always remember that when they were able to beat number 12 ucla something else there is then is i think they're back on the come up or at least i hope i don't jinx them but i really hope they are I want to see more of those West Coast Pac-12 teams be a little better. Yeah. Because, I mean, I just hate – I mean, you just see the same teams every year. I mean, I'm an SEC fan, so I'm used to seeing the same teams be good every year, and I'm kind of like it's – I mean, of course, we're always going to be better. We're the best. But I think it's always nice to see another team come in and see if they can make ruckus or anything. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And then we can just kind of run through uh, the – the top uh ranked outcomes uh so number one georgia goes into starkville completely kills mississippi state um there's not really much to talk about the georgia offense looked great uh i didn't really think that kirby smart was gonna try and dig mike leach's grave but um they did this this game just yet again goes and proves that all those doubts that people had about georgia there for three or four weeks about not being the best team in the nation. That was all just, I don't know, that just this proves everybody can calm down. George is doing fine. They just you know had a little hiccup in there, but everything is back to normal, back to scheduled plan. I think uh, Brian Kelly said it, winter or championship teams aren't made in September. They're made in October, November. And, I mean, look at Georgia now. They, they're looking like a great team. They're looking exactly how I expect them to look in every game this year. And, I mean, for on the Mississippi State side, they look like Mississippi State. I really don't think they're going to do anything with Mike Leach. They're probably going to keep him there for another few years because, I mean, Mississippi State's not really a destination job. It doesn't have the best recruiting spot. You know, it's number two in the state of Mississippi. So, you know, it's always – so I think they'll keep Mike Leach there. He'll keep getting, you know, some good players and all that. But I don't think they're ever going to be at any better than eight and four, seven and fives. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think Michael Leach's offense kind of has a shelf life. And for right now, kind of looks like it's expired. Uh, but we'll move on to number two, Ohio State. Just walking into in, or, uh, uh, playing Indiana and just beating the brakes off of them. Yeah, I mean, Indiana had that one magical season during COVID year. They had the quarterback that we were talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Michael Washington. Penix. Yeah, uh, Penix, great quarterback, brought him to the Outback Bowl, looked good. And then they, yet again, fell flat. I don't know what's going on up there, but obviously 2020 was a fluke for them. But, I mean, they, I don't think they've been a big – they're not really a big news story. So, uh, oh. good crowd to Ohio State for just showing that they're the best team in the Big 12. They're Big yeah, 10, so. Yeah, Big Ten. The real spotlight uh, is on C.J. Stroud's kind of bounce back 
from that, you know, the tough weather conditions last week uh, with Northwestern comes out 17 for 28. 297, five touchdowns passing. So uh, a great performance from CJ. Um, still kind of making his case for Heisman, um, especially because him and Blake Corum are the only Heisman candidates that are on an undefeated team. And and one of them is not going to be on an undefeated team by the, uh, the end of the regular season. Um, but we will move on to Blake Corum's team, who absolutely stomped the hell out of Nebraska. Like, it was 34 to 3. Michigan really didn't have to do anything in the second half. Uh, they were up 17 3. They put up a couple more points on the board, but Nebraska didn't have a chance. I mean, to reiterate what I said with um, Ohio State, this just goes to prove that there are only two good teams in the Big Ten, and that being Ohio State and Michigan. They proved over the year they're the only two who get top 25 recruiting classes. I mean, congrats to them. Gonna just gonna play each other. We'll we'll see how it is. I mean, good for them for being. Uh, I mean, they're both great games for them. But I would just I would like to see their their conference get a little better. Yeah, there. It, it's hard to do that when um, you know, the East is just in such a bad position right now. Uh, of course, you have Nebraska. And Wisconsin fire their coaches, and then Iowa's offense is just the hardest thing to watch. So it, it's tough to watch any of the teams in the East right now. Um, but the Big 12 championship, especially for the last couple of years, um, is on rivalry week. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree. I mean, you can put, I mean, you could say the same thing about the SEC there for a while. It was going to be either Auburn or Alabama or Alabama or LSU there for a while back in the probably like 08 to 2019 but now you know that we have georgia is coming back tennessee coming back it's like the sec is starting to look a little better and same with these other uh conferences but still the big 10 it's kind of always just been ohio state and michigan and even with them in the next few years adding ucla and usc probably just still going to be ohio state and michigan maybe usc if lincoln riley can do any uh, get some keep getting some recruits there but We'll see as the as this all unfolds. Yeah, um, we'll move on to Tennessee, Missouri. Uh, Tennessee putting up a sixty piece on Mizzou. Uh, Hendon Hooker. Uh, I think he's just trying to scratch and claw his way back into the Heisman um, following the loss to Georgia. Um, Twenty five for thirty five, three fifty five in the air, three touchdowns. Um, they look great. Uh, they're doing exactly what everybody said they had to do, which is after that Georgia loss, you got to bounce back and you got to kick some ass for the remaining games on the schedule. And uh, they're off to a good start with that. Yeah. Uh, if I recall correctly, this game started off pretty slow, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, for, uh, yeah. At first, I was like, oh, goodness, they're, this is not good for them. And then, as you know, as the game continued, everything kept clicking. And they got back into uh, a great rhythm and looking really good. And I mean, they put 60 on Mizzou. I mean, Missouri's not the best team in the world, but still putting up 60 points is pretty impressive. Yeah, and, and with that scoring. So it was 7-7 at the end of the first. And then by halftime, it was uh, 28-17. And then we ended up at 66-24 for the final score. So yeah, it started off a little bit slow, uh, but Tennessee kicked it in gear. And, you know, that's... That's what they need to do um, if they have any hopes of, of making 
you know, making anything happen with this playoff run. So we'll move on to number seven, LSU, uh, just barely sneaking by Arkansas, 13 to 10. Yeah, that was a great game. I, I was able to watch most of it. And LSU didn't look too good. I was very surprised. Uh, this Arkansas defense, though, I'm not, uh, they have very good defense, so I don't want to uh, downplay them at all. But And I, I also understand the weather was not uh, not good there. If I recall, it was uh, snowing the night before or something like that, and the entire field was iced over. Yeah, and so they, tried was, to, they tried to clean up the ice with – Water is well, what I heard. <laughs> I heard the same thing, but you know, it's Arkansas educated people, so you have to remember that. Um, but uh, I mean, Arkansas looked really good, uh, just kind of what you expect from Arkansas to put up a great fight, but not be able to win. LSU, they had an off game, they had uh, a couple big games in a row, had their off game, didn't really look too great. I understand the weather wasn't too good, but. From what how they looked against Alabama and Ole Miss these last few weeks, you you would expect a little more than just a three point win there. Yeah, I agree. Um, LSU, the offense looked super boring. Um, there was a couple; they got a little bit lucky <clears throat> throughout this game. Uh, you had that first down late in the game where they reviewed it and they still called the uh, called it a first down that. I, I don't know how they could have called that a first down. Uh, it looked like once he actually secured the catch, he was probably about a half a yard short. Um, so that saved him. And then uh, just a couple of mistakes for Arkansas um, when they really could have capitalized. But uh, we'll move to, you know, maybe a more fun story. Uh, the Vanderbilt Commodores beating number 24 Kentucky for their first uh, win in the SEC since 2019. Yes. Go Vandy. Uh, I've been I've been wanting to be decent again for a long time. Yeah, I'm you know what? It, it makes the SEC East a little bit more fun uh, when the lower teams are just beating up on the betters. Yeah, I don't know what has happened to Kentucky, but ever since that loss to Ole Miss, they've just been in a nosedive. I don't know what's happening with Mark Stoops up there. I mean, he's had a few – he's had a bunch uh, – the last four or five seasons, he's been doing very, very good. Now isn't he only isn't he like uh, six and five now or something like that? Yeah, they're struggling. Um, I believe they're they're either six and five or six and four. I think I'm pretty sure four because they had their bye. Right, yeah. Then the because I know they're bowl eligible, but oh, it's not looking too good for them this this weekend. Just reminded everybody, hey, we're a basketball school. Yeah, and uh. And I'm just kind of waiting on these updated, uh, these updated uh, draft boards because I just want to see Will Levis plummet. Because I've been saying it from the start, he is he's prepared uh, for the NFL, but he is not by any means the second best quarterback in this class. Oh yeah, I don't know who decided that. That's insane. I we I mean we talk about it every week. That is crazy. He's not. <laughs> no. Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are so far ahead of everybody else in their quarterback class. The only issue with Bryce Young is he's, what is he, 6'1", 6'2"? Yeah, I believe so. So that is his only issue. Besides that, he's one of the best college quarterbacks I've seen. He's so confident on the field. 
he can direct everybody and just looks when he's out there, he looks so professional. Nothing bothers him. Nothing gets to his head. He looks great. And then it's like when I was watching uh, the Ole Miss uh, Kentucky game, Levis didn't really look like that. You could tell he was scared in certain points. He was stressed. He was panicking a little on the inside. Made a stupid few uh, plays because he was panicking. You don't see that with Bryce Young and CJ Stroud as much. Yeah, Will Levis just he, he hasn't really impressed me um, at many points. He's obviously had a couple of good games in these last two years, but uh, nothing really sticks out to me. Yeah, I <laughs> fully agree. All right, well, we're going to move on to the NFL Week 10 review. Uh, it starts off on Thursday Night Football, uh, a game that I wanted to forget about so much that I almost didn't put it on the prep sheet. Uh, it's going to be Panthers beating the Falcons 25-15. Um, as a Falcons fan, uh, I tried to just completely block this game from my memory. Um, so the only thing I want to say is a uh, shout-out Donta Foreman. Um, playing pretty well. Uh, as the replacement for Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, that Thursday night was a rough night for me. Not only did my Atlanta Falcons, you know, suck per usual, I also had the Georgia Southern game on, and they were blowing the game too. So I could not. I was trying to escape football with another game, and every time I switched over, we just kept doing worse on the other game. But um, yeah, the Falcons just did not look look good. It's just that I think that's the best way to put. They didn't look good at all. I mean, I get the weather was not. Uh, what you wanted it was a rainy game but I mean they just look terrible yeah and and I don't even want to talk about any more of it so we're gonna go ahead and move on to uh the the first Germany game uh in the NFL which is Bucks Seahawks and there there's not too much to talk about from this game um the Seahawks offense this is kind of the first time that we saw them look a little bit boring uh kenneth walker wasn't really getting all that involved wasn't really breaking away for any big runs uh gino was just kind of excuse me gino was just kind of doing his thing but uh i think the real story is that this germany game uh was a big deal out there uh yeah. people loved it i i, I want to say that i saw that three million people tried to buy tickets to this game yeah, I, I saw the crowd outside the stadium. Uh, I don't remember who, what account posted it, but the crowd outside the stadium was insane. And then I believe this, this like they were past capacity there. That was so crazy to see that another country like that, that other country be this involved in American football. Yeah, it's awesome to see. And uh, that Allianz Arena is a beautiful stadium. Uh, oh, yeah. I watch a little bit of European soccer, and whenever Bayern's playing a home game, uh, I love to just see that stadium. It is a architectural masterpiece. Uh, but we'll move on to what I'm going to claim is the best game of the year thus far um, in the NFL, which was Vikings-Bills, uh, 33-30 Vikings uh, in overtime. Yeah, that was one hell of a football game. Um, I yeah. think the Bills kind of threw it a little bit there. They could have won, but there, there's just some bad plays by uh, Josh Allen. Yeah, he, he slipped up a couple of times, and um, I, I want to say that a little bit 
has to do in part with the injury. Uh, obviously, he's been aiding this um, this injury in the past week. But, you know, I don't blame them for not taking Josh Allen out of the game. He obviously still did his thing. Uh, 29 for 43, 330, one touchdown. Uh, he had the two interceptions. And then he also had six carries for 84 yards. So he is still the only reason that the team was in competition with the Vikings in this game. Um, because the Vikings offense, you know, their core looked amazing. Kirk out of nowhere, 30 for 50, 357 yards with a touchdown and his normal two interceptions. Uh, and then you got Dalvin, 14 carries, 119, uh, on the ground with an 81 yard touchdown rush. And then Justin Jefferson, 10 receptions, 193 and a touchdown. So you got to give it up for, um, for this offense uh, on both sides, really. And um, we also saw two of the best catches of the year so far in this game. Uh, Diggs has that just straight max vertical one-handed grab, catches it on like the front of the ball. Uh, And then obviously the Justin Jefferson one that was all over social media all of Sunday, which is where he goes up one hand, brings it down out of the defender's hands, fully contested. Uh, for the catch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's why people like to watch football. Those amazing plays like that. Uh, it was just crazy. It was crazy to watch. Because yeah. you're like, that. there's no way. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the the aftermath of this game um, really presents a question that I think it's... The Vikings have definitely been a team that people are questionable about so far this season. But after this win... Do you think the Vikings are a Super Bowl contender? Uh, I kind of think they have have all year. They have the tools. They have the people. We'll just have to – I mean, that was a great game. Did They, they played at uh, the Bills, didn't they? Yes. Yeah, so I think – I mean, in an away crowd and, uh, you know, not – it's uh, uh, upstate New York, so probably not the warmest ever either. I mean, they they looked very good. I think all season they're proven that they they might be able to go. I don't know if they'll go all the way, but they might be able to challenge some people that were expected to be able to go all the way. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I I think that at this point we got to take them seriously. Uh, their only loss um, being to the Eagles, who we'll talk about later. Um, but yeah, the Vikings looked really good. The offense has looked really good these past couple of weeks. And, you know, there's nothing that I see on the Vikings that says that they can't do it. Uh, the defense, obviously, you can't really gauge a defense when they're playing against Josh Allen because he's a whole nother monster. But it looked pretty good considering you're playing against Josh Allen. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, I mean, uh, for playing against Josh Allen, keeping him only down at 33 points is pretty good. I yeah. mean, and and what they really did is they got the stops and they needed to get the stops. Exactly. Uh, so we'll move on to the Lions beating the Bears 31-30. And I know the Bears lost, but you got to keep putting the spotlight on Justin Fields. It seems like Matt Eberflus has kind of set up an offense um, that is working very well for Justin Fields. Yeah, uh, you can definitely tell that that is happening because he didn't really do too much last year, didn't. 
kind of started off the season slow this year. Now he's looking uh, much better as the season's progressing. And I think it's just everybody getting used to one another, just everybody finally uh, gelling. And I think, I think they'll, I don't think they're, I mean, they're the Bears. I don't know if they're ever really be the greatest team, but Justin Fields, I said it when he got drafted. I still thought he needed another year in college and then he could come out to the pros and look much better. I still believe he could have used that extra year in college, but I mean, he's looking really good right now. So I cannot say, I, I'm not going to really, I'm not going to hate on him at all, but I, I still believe he need that one more year in college to get ready. Yeah. I think it was more of like a developmental thing. You know, he played the year at Georgia. Well, he was at Georgia for a year. I wouldn't say played, but, um, and then loses the starting spot to Jake Fromm, goes up to Ohio State. He's relatively successful up there for those two years. And then, you know, he skips town for the draft thinking that somebody will want him. And the Bears, uh, I'm going to say it, the Bears reached on him in the draft. And it didn't work out year one. Uh, and it still hasn't really worked out year one record-wise. But you're starting to see the upsides of his play. And he's definitely starting to remind people of Lamar Jackson. Yeah, uh, he's a great quarterback. And he has nothing but, but a lot of potential there. It's he, a lot of the team, I mean, he, because what happens in today's game is if you don't do anything, your first two years, you're done. You know, you don't really get a second chance after that. So uh, that that's why I always told everybody he was a great quarterback, but you should not. He should need another year of development. And he got that his first year in the NFL. And, I mean, he's looking better, but he has he still has a lot to uh, work on. There's a lot there for him to learn before he really is a top quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll move on to the Tennessee Titans beating the Denver Broncos 17-10. Um, not much to talk about here. Uh, Jerry Judy went out uh, pretty early in the game uh, for the Broncos, so um, I'm not going to make that up as an excuse for the Broncos' offense sucking. But, you know, it doesn't help. It doesn't help when, you know, your best playmaker's out. But, I mean, th- that's not an excuse. One one player should not make or break your team, really, especially in the NFL where you have the top of the top talent. Um, I mean, it was it was an okay game. Yeah, if you're looking for defense, that was the game to watch this weekend. Um, but let's be honest, uh, there's very few people um, that are watching an NFL game for the defense. Yeah, I mean, I think we speak on it most every time we talk. Nowadays, no one really respects the defense, really likes the defense. All, all people care about are points being scored. And that's but a lot of rules that I was set up to make sure points will get a lot of points will be scored in the game. So that's just something you got to get uh, that you get used to. But, you know, defense at the end of the day still wins championships. Every, mo- I think there is a there is a there's a statistic somewhere that talks about how the like every Super Bowl champion for the last like decade has been top five in the defense uh, every year. So people need to remember that. Yeah, obviously the impact of defense is undeniable. Um, but when it comes down to viewership and you know the way that we consume football now, especially in the younger generations, 
is through highlights and you know it it's very cool to see um like a, a cool interception or like uh aaron donald just like throwing two guys on the ground um but nobody really cares uh if the defense like gets a big stop on fourth and short so um all we really care about is you know the big catches the nice runs the the crazy throws and um it, it definitely is changing how teams look to uh, who they're acquiring on the team you know maybe you spend a little bit more money on your offense and maybe pick up just some veterans some serviceable guys on the defense because you know that the fans want to see the big plays on offense yeah that's a very good point there i've never really thought about it that way but i think that's how it kind of how you kind of end up with only certain teams going to the super bowl every year you're not going to have you know it's going to be like the Pats and the, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, like the Rams, someone like that, that always ha- usually have, most always have very good defense. Yeah. Um, so we'll move on uh, to one of the best teams in the league right now, which is the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they beat the Jags 27-17. Not much to talk about here. Uh, a pretty normal game for the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes plays well. The rest of the offense plays well. Defense kind of locks down Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, and they get the victory. Yeah, I mean, as we know, the Jags aren't the best the best team in the uh, NFL, and there's really not too much to say. But I mean, good game. I, I like the. Uh, I think with the uh, Kansas City, even with uh, losing Ty- Tyreek Hill, yeah, that was a big loss. But with Kansas City, they're set up. Their system is set up much like the Patriots were for the however fifteen years they had Tom Brady. They kind of they have so many. They they okay. We can lose one player and we'll just replace him with someone else, and it's just fine. It's like Alabama at this point. Yeah, their system is set up so well that they don't that losing one uh, big playmaker won't affect them too much. Yeah, I really do like that parallel between Alabama and the Chiefs because um, the Chiefs definitely, they're, they're built to just continue winning. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes is going to be there probably his entire career. Uh, I don't think Kelsey's going anywhere. Um, and Andy Reid is, is a great head coach. Definitely one of the best of all time, especially if he stacks up a couple of Super Bowls before he leaves. But um yeah, that's very similar to how Alabama's run. I actually really like that comparison. Uh, but we'll move on to Miami. Uh, they defeat the Browns 39-17. And I think at this point, uh, the Browns are just kind of waiting around for week 13. Um, they don't really care what happens till then. Uh, they just want to see Deshaun Watson play. Um, yeah, I agree. I think the, the Browns, you know, they're um... – He's just kind of there right now. They gave up a lot for Deshaun Watson, so they're just really hoping that was worth it. Yeah, exactly. They're just looking for the payout. And then, uh, of course, Tua, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle. they did their thing. Jeff Wilson Jr. had a pretty good game. Uh, same with Raheem Mostert. So that offense is obviously going to be firing all cylinders all year. Uh, it's just about when they face a great defense, how well are they going to react? Yeah. Um, I believe ESPN posted this the other day. Now, is it true that they think all four teams in the uh, in the East will make it to the playoffs? 
Is there a, is that really a possibility right now? So it's actually it's it's a little crazier than just all four. Um, it looks like all eight teams uh, between the AFC and NFC East will make it because uh, the only team right now that is outside of the playoffs, uh, like by the standings, is the Commanders. After that win against the Eagles, puts them half a game uh, outside. I believe that's what the stat was, was half a game uh, outside of the playoffs in the NFC. So, yeah, there's a chance that eight teams uh, between the AFC and NFC East all make it into the playoffs. That is that is just crazy. You want to talk about, like, the SEC, <laughs> other people are going to start getting pissed. Yeah, I don't think anybody really saw this coming either. You know, the last couple of years, the NFC East has been horrible. And, and same with the AFC East, with the exception of the Bills and uh, the Patriots a couple of years back. A couple of these yeah. teams have really turned themselves around, and, you know, we're seeing it right now. Yeah, I agree. I never in a million years, if you would ask me 2019, 2020, if, I, if, the, if someone had told me this, I would have laughed in their face. I never would have believed that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, getting to one of these NFC East teams that's really surprised people, uh, it's the Giants. Giants beating the Texans 24-16. The Texans suck. That's the only thing I really have to say. Uh, Damian Pierce is good, and that's about it. Yeah. um, Hey, Houston's got baseball. That's all they need. Yeah, they won a World Series. Super Bowls don't matter. Um, (laughs) And then on the Giants' side... Uh, Daniel Jones has a great game. Saquon had a great game. Um, I think they just got Kenny Galladay back. Um, but uh, the Giants do need to be looking out. Uh, I know Xavier McKinney. Uh, it looks like he might not come back this season after uh, uh, what was called a freak accident on the bye week uh, down in Cabo San Lucas. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I really, uh, I really like the Giants. Um, I've always, I've always kind of liked him because Eli Manning was there, and you know, you can't not like Eli Manning. He's, he, you know, he's the really nice brother. Of well, the you can you can say that because you're an Ole Miss fan, uh, but I'm sure there's plenty of people, probably some Patriots fans, uh, that aren't quite a big fan of Eli Manning. Hey, he he only cost them two Super Bowls. I think that's okay. They're they can be okay with that. But um. Hey. You know how they are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I really, I really like this team, and uh, I really want to see them do well. Uh, I like Daniel Jones, but I, nev- I have never really been sold on Daniel Jones. He's a good quarterback. I think it's kind of like we talk about Kirk Cousins, except for Kirk Cousins doing really good now. Uh, he can get you the wins when you need the wins. Yeah, that's kind of what I've seen from Daniel Jones, uh, especially this season. Obviously, you know, Danny Dimes uh, was the moniker he was given, but uh, we never really saw him do anything great. Uh, It seemed like every time we saw him uh, in the first couple of years he's been in the league, you know, he had a couple of cool plays that he made, but um, the big one, uh, he had like the wide open touchdown and tripped and ate shit. Um and like that was the highlight of Daniel Jones' career up until this year. But I think he's actually developing, and I think that Brian Dable has a part in it. Uh, obviously, Brian Dable, the offensive, the former offensive coordinator with the Bills, um, turns a guy that played at a, a mid-major college in Josh Allen, uh, ended up 
you know, becoming the guy that he is now, which is a perennial MVP candidate. And, you know, obviously Duke is not mid-major, uh, but they suck at football. And Daniel Jones <laughs> comes from Duke, goes to New York, kind of a coaching carousel uh, in New York. And finally, I think they've found the guy in Brian Dable. I think he's definitely a contender for the coach of the year. Oh, 100%. They they look, uh, as compared to the last few years, they, they look a million times better. And, uh, you know, uh, go back to Daniel Jones. I, I want him to good. I agree he is. You can definitely tell he is getting better. And he's, I agree. I think he's uh, the coach they brought in. He's definitely helping him develop and look uh, get better with each week. But I think I don't know how long he can do this for, you know. He might just continue to be that kind of like a bridge quarterback almost, but I don't know. We'll see as uh, the seasons go on and what they decide to do with him. Yeah. Uh, so we'll move on to Steelers beating the Saints 20-10. to 10. And really the only story here is uh, TJ Watt is back and he just has an instant effect as soon as he steps on the field. Yeah, I mean, he's one hell of a football player. <laughs> I think that's about well, all I can say about him. He is so good. Yeah, he, he definitely um, has the same effect that his brother had when he was in Houston, which is like, it doesn't matter, um, you know, how the rest of the team is. If you see... TJ Watt standing on the opposite side of the scrimmage, or sorry, you see TJ Watt standing on the opposite side of the line, you're scared and you don't know what you're going to do. So I, I really do think that he brings a lot to this Steelers team. And it, they're always, always going to be in contention if TJ Watt's on the field. Yeah, I fully agree. Uh, something I want to say about the Saints team is, whew. That's that's it's it's a basically a dumpster fire going on down there in New Orleans. Must yeah. like the entire just terrible. Yeah, I think Jameis needs to go ahead and just get a cortisone shot, and uh, we need to get that ginger off the field. It, it's bad. Yeah. He looks so old. The gray hair, like, <laughs> please just just get him off of the football field. Yeah, he should have retired years ago. Yeah. Uh, so just, we'll move on. Oh no, go ahead. I was gonna say it's just weird to me to see it because. Most of the whole time I've been watching NFL, the Saints have always been one of the top teams. And with Drew Brees retiring and now their head coach uh, last season, uh, Sean Payton, it is, it's just they got to figure something out down there because New Orleans fans are not used to this. Yeah, they're not. And um, the last thing we need is people in New Orleans acting more crazy. Yeah, trust me. So we'll move on to uh, Colts Raiders. Uh, the Colts beat the Raiders 25 to 10. And uh, in Jeff Saturday's uh, debut as the interim head coach, I'm going to say it right now. One more win and he might earn himself the job. Um, obviously, they're playing against the Raiders, uh, which have not looked good this year. But it kind of seemed like he had those guys going. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, one thing you look for when you look for a head coach is someone the players will play for. And as we saw in that game, it looks like, I mean, it's just the Raiders now, so I don't want to say anything too crazy, but it, it appeared to me that the players wanted to play for him and wanted to win for him. 
Yeah, I agree. And, and I do just when I saw that, like right before, I, I believe right before Frank Rock got fired, maybe it was right after Sam Ellinger was still the starting quarterback. So I'm just going to keep believing that Jeff Saturday walked into the facility, told Sam Ellinger to get the fuck off the first team, got Matt Ryan up off the bench, put him in the game, and then they won on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I'll always have a soft spot for Matt Ryan since he did a lot for Atlanta. That's not only uh, the Falcons, but the city as a whole. But, I mean, I still, I think I said this uh, last week, I still going to hold to, I still believe he probably should have retired while he was close to being on top because now he's just kind of getting, he's going to kind of be remembered as, uh, you know, just stayed around too long. I, I kind of wish that if we were going to trade him away, we would have done it 18, 19. When he was still, you know, he still had at least another five, six, seven years. Instead of, you know, opposed to two, we could get more picks for him. You know, there were other people we could have picked up there, but we decided not to. Yeah, and, and I think that's a problem that the Falcons have had uh, for years in the past. And I, I want to put that on Thomas Dimitrov because he did a horrible job when he was the GM. But, um, you know, Terry Fontenot inherited this team. They still had Julio still had Matt Ryan and, and they're both guys that most likely should have been gone even before Terry got there. Um, but uh, I do want to talk about Josh McDaniel for a second because he is driving this Raiders team into the ground. He sucks. Yeah. Like the Raiders last year, they probably would have been very good uh, if John Gruden knew how to hide his emails, but um. They definitely were a good team last year, and um, I just I don't think Josh McDaniel works. And I I think that unless they get to, I'd probably say five and twelve. Um, I think Josh McDaniel is going to get fired. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with you. If if uh, Gruden doesn't leave last year, they're possibly going to the playoffs, and. Then he just, you know, then they had to fire him, of course, in that whole issue. But um, he just, yeah, you can't have a team that's kind of on the come up and then you get in there and just, you know, nosedive there. That's terrible. Yeah, so I, and obviously this is a very similar team to what they had last year, except for that they added a top three wide receiver in the league, and now the results are just moving backwards. It, it doesn't make sense to me, and I think it starts at the top. Well, I think it starts at even uh, higher than that. Like, you can't have the la- your last four, five first-round draft picks no longer be a part of your football team. Yeah. I mean, and you, and when, some of those they couldn't really avoid. Uh, a couple, you know, one in particular. Well, yeah. That one, of course. But, like, I mean, you, you look at that, it's like, yeah, I know not every – like the first rounder doesn't always try to be great, but the odds of you having four or five in a row, with the exception of one that des- deserves not to be on the team anymore, no longer part of the team, that's that's terrible. Yeah, it is. But uh, the last thing I want to do is sit here and spend 15 minutes talking about the Raiders. Uh, <laughs> so we'll go into a game that I don't want to spend too much time on, but I do want to highlight a little bit, which is going to be the Cardinals beating the Rams 27-17. And the only reason I'm going to talk about this game is because it was the battle of the backups. You had Colt McCoy start for the Cardinals, John Wolford starting for the Rams, 
And uh, we even got a little bit of Trace McSorley there at the end. Yeah. Um, man, the Rams, dude. Uh, I didn't. I don't think I watched this game, but wasn't a Cooper Cup out for it? Um, I'm not sure if he was out the whole game, but um, it came out today, I believe, that he's getting ankle surgery. Yeah, so there goes the Rams season. So when yeah, that, well, if it wasn't already done. Oh well, yeah, <laughs> it was already already about to go to the shitter, and then now it's completely gone because they just, I, I, you know, I understand the Super Bowl slump, but whew, they really said, "Hey, let's let's take this and run with it." Yeah, like it looks like Matthew Stafford aged ten years in the off season. Maybe he was celebrating a little bit too hard, but. Yeah, he does not look good, and then obviously he gets hurt. Wolford has to start. Um, I just I don't think anybody saw these teams looking this bad uh, once we got to this point in the season. Uh, last year, these teams met in the playoffs. Obviously, the Rams won the Super Bowl. Cardinals definitely had some things uh, with that team that were promising. Uh, obviously, DeAndre Hopkins ends up being out for the first six games. Um You've got some pretty good running backs, James Conner, Eno Benjamin. Um, yeah, I think we said this a few weeks ago. Um, oh, no, nah, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was cutting out, so I thought you stopped talking. Um, no, you're good. I think we said this a few weeks ago when we were talking about the Cardinals. They, the the coach there hasn't really had too much success anywhere he's went. Why do they really expect him to do better in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury, been... Cliff Kingsbury just doesn't do it for me. I, I I don't know what it is, but nothing about the teams he's coached impresses me. Obviously, he was at Texas Tech, uh, tried to end Baker Mayfield's career, um, and then <laughs> goes to the Cardinals. Doesn't really do anything that impresses me and we've talked about it the last two weeks um i I just don't like him and and i don't want to be repetitive about it but yeah he he's on the hot seat yeah um he just uh, yeah i have to i've just never i've never been his biggest fan uh I, I, i hate to repeat you and sound even more repetitive here but i just no, nah, I just everywhere he's been, he's just never really done anything to make me be like, huh? You know, he's just always kind of bid. Yeah, I'm gonna go out there and say it. Uh, he is just barely better than Matt Rule. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's hard to be as bad as Matt. Uh, they, similar resumes. Uh, they both coached at um, smaller programs, moved up to a bigger program, uh, did well there, and went to the NFL. Haven't really done anything. Um, but honestly, yeah, least, Matt Rule might end up having a better career if he gets a good job in college. Yeah, at least Matt Rule had winning seasons in college football. That's true. But uh, we'll move on to uh, Sunday night football, which was 49ers beating the Chargers. Uh, this game was, like, okay to watch. Uh, I love watching the 49ers. They have talent at so many positions. Uh, but 49ers beat the Chargers 22-16. You know, I'm going to say it. This is going to be the craziest thing I've said, and I, I don't I don't know why I want to believe it. And I think it's because I have a couple friends that are Niners fans, and they're they're making me believe it. I'm, I want to see the Niners go at least to the NFC Championship. 
I think they can. They look pretty good. I think they could make the championship, um, but they better hope that they don't have to face the Vikings or the Eagles on the way there. Yeah. I mean, the NFC has some good teams this year, uh, like with what we just what you just stated, the Vikings, Eagles, and the Niners. Um, the Eagles, you know, good team. They look good. I, I like AJ Brown, Jalen Hurts, but from what I saw against the Commanders, with the if you shut down AJ Brown, the Eagles don't really have too much going for them. It could just been, you know, they were, it was a combination of they really uh, the the Commanders really targeted. Uh, AJ Brown that game to make sure uh, he wasn't a a threat and they just or they played really good and the Eagles had an off game I don't know but it appeared to me that they shut AJ Brown down to one catch for seven yards and as I mean the score will show you they obviously struggled yeah and and I think the big thing you know going into this game you know commanders I, I believe like the Eagles were an 11 point favorite like nobody thought that this is where the unbeaten season would end and you know what you got to give credit to Taylor Heineke oh yeah like he comes in and just does his thing him and Terry McLaurin are a great duo um you know Heineke loves to just kind of <laughs> close his eyes and throw the ball downfield and Terry McLaurin loves to make catches that he shouldn't so they're the perfect duo out there and then you know looking towards next week Heineke has to be the starter Ron Rivera came out in his press conference today said it wasn't decided with Wentz coming back you can't sit Heineke you just beat the 8-0 Philadelphia Eagles if you start Carson Wentz ridiculous I think this has been Carson Wentz's entire career I'm not gonna say he's overhyped because he's a he's a he usually plays pretty good, but he doesn't he could play, you know, he could be a the super he could be Peyton Manning in practice. But when it comes to the game, you gotta be that guy during the game and he's never seems to be. So yeah, at what point that'd be like, you know what, I gotta cut you loose. You just don't you're not do, really you're not doing it for me. My backup is better than you, you know, back him up. Yeah. But then uh, it kind of looks like the big news story that came out of this game and what all of social media was freaking out about all night um, was the turnover at the end. Uh, Dallas Godare fumbles the ball and they show the replay and he was so obviously face masked and like it looked like he got poked in the eye. And so he drops the ball and Washington picks it up and they go to review it for like, I think they just had to review it just because it was a fumble, but you can't call the face mask retroactively and they didn't call it on the field. So there's no face mask. Nothing happens and Washington keeps the ball. So uh, I got a question for you, especially as somebody that you know played football, looks to coach it. Do you think that the face mask should be a reviewable call? Because we see it missed all the time and it is a move that typically has a major effect on the outcome of the play. Yeah, that's something I, I really I, I've thought about a lot, especially with uh, the Saturday Ole Miss Alabama game. There are several play personal fouls like a face masks and others like that that were missed. And I I kind of don't I like the idea of being able to review it, and, you know, check and make sure it's right. But at the same time, I've always been taught one play, one missed call whatever should not make or break the game 
And maybe in a situation where it is a one-score game, you should be, be able to. But I kind of like the idea if you don't, they don't see it on the field, you, don't, you can't review it. I think that's a little too much. That's just a little too much to me. Yeah, I agree. Because, you know, at some point, you know, we can't review everything. Or it would make the game yeah. so boring. Yeah, because if you start reviewing, because that gets into so much. It's like every other penalty now is a targeting penalty, and you have to spend forty-five minutes that, and people get uninterested. They start to leave the game. Like they got to do. Yeah, I don't think we should review penalties. I would. I just think referees need to be better. It's almost yeah, like you uh, got. You know, it's the human error of the game, but at the same time, that's what makes the game interesting. You know, it gets people talking. Social media loves to just yell at the refs. So why would the NFL even care to make any changes to reviews when they know that the they're going to get way more interaction if they just don't fix anything? Yeah, I mean, it goes back like uh, with the MLB when everybody was talking about the robotic umps. You know, I'm kind of I, 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 I like that idea because, you know, you would never miss a call but i have to agree with you it makes it more interesting yeah like there's nothing i love more than watching a baseball game and just losing my shit over a strike call that is one of like a hundred in the game yeah so speaking of uh baseball and umpires mlb free agency has gotten off to a a pretty good start um first day of free agency um edwin diaz signs five-year deal with the mets becomes the highest paid reliever in the mlb right now um, it bothers me that we have to deal with that for as Braves fans for the next five years. At the same time, I'm not very scared of Edwin Diaz. It didn't seem like he did too much against us uh, because a lot of times he came in in the eighth and we were already up by two, so it didn't really matter. Um, yeah, as they, uh, he to me he never really affected us as Braves fans, but uh, I mean, good for him. Go go get your money, you know. Yeah, exactly. He deserved it. He was definitely the best reliever in the league. Um, so, yeah, congrats to Edwin Diaz on getting the bag. Uh, I can't wait for our lineup to absolutely match off your team next year. I am so excited. Woo! So we'll move on to a, uh, another pitcher getting his uh, his contract. Clayton Kershaw comes back uh, for a one-year deal to return to the Dodgers. And uh, I think the big question here, and I haven't really seen too many people talking about it, um, do you think this one-year deal is kind of Kershaw's farewell tour? It kind of seems like it, you know, uh, only a one-year deal. Like, yeah, I, I could definitely see why people would be saying that. I kind of was saying that when I saw it. Uh, but he's still a really good pitcher. Uh, he could have a few more years left in him, I feel, if, if he wanted to. But it's up to him. We'll see. I, 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 we'll see how this season goes for him. And I think if he wins a series here – you know, does ha, has a mediocre season. He might uh, end it there, but we'll, we'll see how he does. Yeah, I think Clayton Kershaw, I'll just go ahead and say, he's a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame. Maybe not first ballot. Uh, obviously, he struggled a lot in playoffs uh, historically. Obviously, they had the one World Series. Mickey Mouse doesn't count. But, um, yeah, he's definitely a Hall of Famer, one of the best pitchers of our generation, and... Um, you know, I'd hate to see him go because he he is good for the game. Um, you know, the social media guys love talking about him. Uh, I, I don't know what uh, commentators on national broadcasts are going to do when they can't talk about him and Matthew Stafford playing youth baseball together. So, um, yeah, I, yeah I definitely respect Clayton Kershaw a lot. Um, but I, I do think this is his last year. So I've said this before for 
other people in sports. You just got to find your time where he's just like, you know what? I've done everything I can do. I have a World Series. I have, a, you know, however many awards he has. He's got an MVP. And, yeah. And then he's just like, I have all this. I have done better than 99% of the other, other ba- every other baseball player in the history of baseball. What more could I want? I just want to go spend time with my family. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to get into uh, a couple of Braves moves that have happened so far. Uh, first off, Braves bringing back franchise favorite Jesse Chavez uh, to a minor league deal. And he's only on a minor league deal uh, to save a little bit of money, but he's going to be on the main squad. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I love Jesse Chavez so much. But uh, we'll move on uh, to a, a newcomer to the Braves. Uh, Nick Anderson signs a one-year contract with the Braves. And he's coming off a, a pretty rough season this year with the Rays. But uh, a year before this past year, he was very good on the Rays. He's a solid reliever. Uh, for some reason, we just love taking pitchers from the Rays. So, yeah, I don't know why we don't just keep doing it. Yeah, I'm all about stealing people from other teams. So why not? You know, I'm just... Yeah. Something uh, our bullpen was a bit of an issue this year. We gave up a lot in the uh, in games we should have won. We gave up a lot of points, and I mean that's always been the or not always, but the last few decades since uh, the greatest pitching rotation ever in, in the history of baseball we had in the '90s. Ever since then, then we really haven't. We've always had an issue of giving up too many points in the middle innings. So that is definitely something we uh, we need to work on as uh, as a as the baseball team. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then another pitching acquisition for the Braves. Uh, they trade Jacob to who was horrible, horrible for us after we traded uh, AJ or no, not AJ Minter. Sorry. Uh, Will Smith for him to the Astros. Uh, we trade him, uh, Jacob Rizzi to the Rangers uh, for Colby Allard, who was drafted by the Braves in 2015, spent a few years here. Um, I believe he got traded to the Rangers, and now he's coming back. I don't know why we uh, really traded Will Smith for uh, Odorazi. Uh, I agree with you. He really didn't do too much for us at all. Um, good for Will Smith, though. He got his second ring back-to-back. <laughs> yeah, that, that is pretty cool for him. Uh, we'll move on to Tyler Anderson, uh, starting pitcher for the Dodgers. Uh, well, now the Angels. Uh, he, he's been really good uh, the past two years with the Dodgers. Obviously, he really shined this year. But um, it looks like the Angels uh, just want to keep picking up a pitcher here and there um, and hopefully get Mike Trout past the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, it really looks like the Angels. It's like the Angels are trying to show people they want. They're like, oh, yeah, we're definitely trying to make some moves to get to the playoffs. So they do, you know, they pick up a few good players, you know, to, uh, to look good with Otani and uh, Mike Trout. But, you know, like the story will always be, they're not going to be that good because they're not putting too much up. I mean, it's also because they're paying Otani, Shoei, uh, and uh, Mike Trout, you know, a lot of money. So I don't know if their owner has enough to splurge to get a uh, compliment the, for the rest of the team for them, but. We'll see. I, I want to see them do good, though. Yeah, and, and I get it. It is hard to build a winning baseball team. It, it takes a long time, takes a lot of money, um, but it's just about having the right pickups uh, in, in the positions that matter, and I do think Tyler Anderson's a great pickup. Uh, so I could see, you know, he, he could have a great season. I, obviously, it's early in the offseason. The Angels could definitely make some more moves, but right now, you know, they're still going to be fourth, fifth in the division uh but we'll move on uh 
to uh, probably I'd say the second biggest signing so far in the uh, the offseason behind Edwin Diaz, which is uh, Anthony Rizzo. He's staying in the Bronx, signs a multi-year deal with the Yankees, and they're giving him $20 million a year. So I'm not too sure what this means for Aaron Judge. Um, they have become pretty good friends uh, in the past two seasons that Rizzo's been with them. But the question is, does this keep Judge in town? Or does it push him out because they're giving Rizzo a lot of money? Yeah, I agree. Uh, we definitely this will definitely see how it plays out for him. But I think uh, they're just trying. They you know they're trying to keep a World Series champion contending team, and they know if you want to you want to be a World Series contender, you got to pay for your players. I mean, look at the Braves, Dodgers, Mets. Look at Houston. They're paying a lot of money. So hopefully, uh, for the Yankees' sake, uh, this doesn't drive Aaron Judge out. But you know, we'll see. I think he, I think he very much likes to play for the Yankees. And I don't think he wants to leave. But uh, you know, we'll see if they can, if someone can lure him away with more money. Yeah, and it's always good for a player to test the market. So you know, Aaron Judge will definitely. Um, it's going to be hard to one up last season, but um. You know, no matter where he goes, he he's gonna play well. He's a great player, um. So obviously, nobody could really mess up uh, by signing him. But I think the Yankees uh, could mess up by uh, by losing him. Uh, but we'll move over to uh, a couple of the awards that have come out so far this year. Uh, I don't feel like going through all the Silver Sluggers, Gold Gloves. Uh, so we're gonna start with the individual awards. Um, it's gonna be AL Rookie of the Year. Julio Rodriguez, and um, he got 29 of 30 first place votes. Uh, ridiculous. He he was obviously the rookie of the year. Like even before the All Star break, I think everybody knew he was going to be the rookie of the year. Uh, so congrats to him. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't really say anything else but to agree. I think everyone knew he was going to win it, and I'll let you announce the uh, NL Rookie of the Year. You know what? No, no. You take the honors on NL Rookie of the Year. Well, the re- I mean, it was going to be the same thing. Uh, the NL Rookie of the Year was uh, Michael Harris the second with the Atlanta Braves. And I think everyone also knew that uh, very early in the season. When he came on, he definitely made it. Uh, he was a di- definitely a difference maker. Uh, I'm surprised Spencer Strider didn't get more votes because he was he did some he I, I did, I'm pretty sure he broke some record uh, some Atlanta Brave records. Well, not uh, just Atlanta Braves records. Um, he also is the fastest player to 200 strikeouts in a season uh, by innings pitched in his rookie season. It is crazy. Yeah, I am very uh, it's very crazy to me that he did not receive more votes for first place. But I mean, it was clear cut. Who was gonna? Who's gonna be one and two? I do know a little bit more in depth. Uh, I, I look into the numbers when it comes to the Braves guys, and Harris, uh, just under three hundred batting average, um, comes up. Uh, I believe it was early June, um, and that's about the same time that Strider moved into the starting rotation from the bullpen, and they both hit the ground running. You know, Strider was coming out, putting up you know seven innings, seven innings, seven innings every every outing and then obviously Harris is out there racking up RBIs hit great with runners in scoring position racking up the stolen bases hitting a couple homers here and there and I think what it really boiled down to is Michael Harris played every day 
Uh, obviously, you know, Strider can't really do that as a pitcher. And I think that's what gives the the hitters an advantage in the rookie of the year race. Um, and also Strider being out for that last month of the season probably set him back a little bit in this. Um, but Michael Harris getting, I believe it was 21 first place votes, Strider getting eight. And then uh, some guy decided that O'Neill Cruz should get a first place vote. Uh, he, he wrote him in. He wasn't even in the top four. So um, fuck that guy. But uh, we'll move on to the uh, managers of the year, which came out. Uh, we're recording this Tuesday night. Uh, the AL manager of the year, Terry Francona from the Cleveland Guardians. He is just such a great manager. I almost called them Indians. They really haven't been anything for a long time. And I mean, he really turned them around this year. Yeah, for sure. And like they had the great season in 2016, obviously making the World Series. And I believe that was the last time that Terry Francona won manager of the year. I could be wrong on that, but yeah, they were amazing this year and they really surprised a lot of people. Obviously the AL Central, it looked like a weak division, but really what was happening is all those teams were just beating each other up. Uh, the Guardians looked great um, against the Yankees in the playoffs and uh, definitely some iconic moments, but yeah, big up to uh, to Tito for winning another manager of the year and then uh one uh one more uh the nl manager of the year which came out while we were doing the podcast is buck showalter uh i don't want to give him any spotlight uh fuck the mets you should have never come back to baseball yeah i agree i don't like the mets at all i mean he only got it because they were terrible last year and then they were good this year i don't really think the mets are don't think the Mets are going to win a series anytime soon. They got to beat the Braves and they got to beat the Phillies. So I just don't think they can do it. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, it makes sense that they give it to Buck Showalter. I get it. You know, Snicker already has won his. Dave Roberts, if they really wanted to base it off of the team with the most wins, he'd get it every year. So no, I don't blame them for, uh, for giving it to uh, Buck. But we're going to move on to a new segment. Uh, we're calling it State Your Claim. So uh, every week we're going to pick uh, just, you know, an opinion, a prediction, anything like that, just a take in general, and you got to stake your claim. So you make this claim. We'll see what happens. So, uh, Brock, I want to let you go first, and I just want to hear what you got. Well, this one's kind of basic, so I think I've said it about a billion times, maybe two billion, I don't know. Georgia's going to repeat this year the national title. I mean, it's very simple. I think that's not too crazy of a claim, but I think most everybody can agree, will agree. No one can beat Georgia, the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, no, I, I like it. And it obviously, you know, they're the favorite to win whatever, but there's definitely competition. You know, we don't know how this Georgia team squares up against, you know, Michigan, Ohio State. I don't even want to say TCU because I think Georgia would just blow them out of the water. But you don't really know. And that's kind of the best thing about college football is that not you're not going to play everybody. Uh, whereas in the NFL, you know, there's a good chance that you probably have played before in the season uh, every now and then when it comes to the Super Bowl. Yeah, in the college football playoff, a lot of times it's your first time seeing this team maybe in years. So you don't know much about any of these players. And there's never really a, a certainty when it comes to the college football playoff. I'm going to go ahead and stake my claim. My claim is that Jim Harbaugh is on the clock. All right. He finally brought him up to the big stage. You know, they're, they're a winning 
program now. Uh, you know, he was kind of on the hot seat for a couple of years when it first started in Michigan, where people were like, is he really going to bring us, you know, to a, a to contending even just with Ohio State? And, you know, they get the win last year. They're up there this year. They've got a great defense, uh, some great running backs. And I think now the expectation is that he's got to win it all. So I think that if Jim Harbaugh does not win a championship in the next four years, including this season, he's out. I, I, I agree with that. I actually think that's a I think that's a very good point. They do now they have been there. They do want to be at the next level, but I don't know who it would take to go to Michigan to be that guy, but I just don't think Michigan is gonna be able to get enough get Yeah, so- and, and obviously they've they've got the talent. They're recruiting very well. Harbaugh's doing a great job on that, but you got to win. Once you get up there, you got to win. Everybody said the same thing about Kirby Smart. His first couple of years, they started getting better. And then it was like, oh, they keep falling short in the playoff. How long does Kirby Smart have? You know, how long of a leash are they going to give him? He wins the championship. Now everybody's like, oh, coach for life. Yeah. And um, I don't know how Harbaugh, Harbaugh's been there, what, since uh, 16? Yeah, I want to say he was either 15 or 16. So this is either his sixth or seventh year, right? Yes. Yeah, I could definitely see them saying, "Hey, you got, you know, your contract expires, and let's just say, let's just say it is four years. I don't know if you can't bring us a title in the next four years, we're gonna have to, you know, look elsewhere." But at the same time, I don't know if Michigan is willing to risk losing a known winner, someone who can get them nine, ten, eleven, twelve wins a season put that on the line to try and get someone who's going to win them a championship. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I I would understand why Michigan would be hesitant to get rid of him. But this is a program that obviously Jim Harbaugh knows this as an alumni. This is a program that expects to win. They've been a top program in the past. And if they don't start winning, I I got a feeling the boosters are going to turn on him. Um, we've seen the boosters turn on plenty of coaches, you know, the big money coaches, especially Jimbo Fisher comes in. Now it looks like the boosters are turning on him. Every coach that's ever gone to Texas, other than Mac Brown, all of the boosters (laughs) will turn on you if they've got the money. And at Michigan, those boosters have the money and they'll send your ass to the curb. If you don't start winning, I think what's really going to be telling for him is if he can keep being Ohio State. Exactly. Now, now that he's broken the streak and he went to the playoffs, can he do it again and make it to the championship? I think if he can at least make it to the championship, he'll buy himself another two, three years, bare minimum, if not more. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So once again, just to say it one more time, Jim Harbaugh, you got four more years to win a championship or you're out of here. And, you know, I'll give this to Georgia. Gonna be... The first team since Alabama to repeat. Now that we have politely waited for 45 minutes, um, the whole top 25 is out, and um, we'll, we'll just get it started. Uh, number 25, Cincinnati. Um, like we've said, I, I think we've said the past two weeks, or yeah, the past two weeks is you can put Cincinnati, you can put you know any of those group five schools, um, you can just put them in there and nobody cares. Um, so Cincinnati at 25, it doesn't bother me. I have no reason to argue them otherwise. Uh, then you got NC State at 24. Yeah. Um, tough week. They really did not play very well, um, and it obviously showed in the final score. But um, 
Yeah, I guess I guess it's a good spot. Do you have any insight on NC State? I haven't really paid attention to them much. Eh, I've kind of sort of looked in at them, but uh, again, they're nothing special. They're just they're they're a pretty good uh, power five school. You know, there's really nothing special with them, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I am kind of surprised that they dropped so far. Um, they dropped eight spots from 16. I know they lost to a, a pretty bad Boston College team, but, you know, a one-point loss. Your starting quarterback's been out for a few weeks now. Um, yeah, I'm surprised they dropped them that far, but also uh, the, the teams that they put ahead of them are, are pretty deserving. So yeah. um, next you got Oregon State. Let's uh, go. Their first time this week. Um, their first time this year getting into the playoff uh, rankings. So Oregon State, you know, making the uh, the rivalry game formerly known as the Civil War a little bit more interesting uh, come uh, two weeks from now. Yeah, so, they really yeah, good. Go Sorry for, go uh, you know, interrupting. But, yeah, I, I, I know we are talking about it during the, uh, the reveal, the rankings, but that game is going to be very good. I'm really looking forward to that one. That's one I will definitely be tuning into rivalry week. Yeah, for sure. And then um, we have Oklahoma State at 22, uh, getting back up in there. They had a, a pretty rough two weeks uh, before this. They bounced back this week. I, I get it. Yeah, put them in at 22. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, Tulane, uh, they kind of just flipped spots with UCF. Uh, Tulane was number 19. Uh, UCF was 22. Uh, They kind of just pulled them together, and they put Tulane at 21, UCF at 20. Once again, put the group of five schools in the 20s. Nobody will bat an eye. Yep. And then my Knowles, we keep moving up. We absolutely skull-fucked. The shit out of Syracuse. 38-3. Number 19 in the country now. Yeah, I remember when people were telling me my my uh, what I said about Syracuse is wrong, that they're actually a pretty good team. And now look at them. Yeah, they are not. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. And then uh, we move on. Number 18, Notre Dame. Uh, I, I got a feeling they're just going to keep moving up. Um they have done a full 360, and uh, I don't see them slowing down. Uh, obviously, uh, a very close game with Navy, which is surprising, uh, especially since they moved up to 18 from 20. Um, but they are 7-3, and three, so uh, I understand putting them there. Uh, yeah. You got on Notre Dame? Yeah, that game with Navy, uh, not to – put anything down about navy they're a good team but they're a group uh, they're a good group of five team i'm pretty sure they're they only have like three wins on the season but yes. the one thing if you look at navy's record they're better than three wins um they have a very disciplined very good team it's just they cannot get the recruits that other people can because they're a service academy um yeah. that's a, playing at notre dame and keeping it 30 i believe the final score is 35 to 33 or 34 to 30 two or something like that very close uh very great game by them i'm actually really surprised they moved notre dame up after a game that close with a team like navy yeah i agree uh and then obviously our um 
the Washington Huskies move up to number 17 after uh, knocking all, number six Oregon off. Um, yeah, Washington deserves it. Uh, Michael Penix has played really well this season. Uh, they hit a little bit of a skid uh, a couple weeks before the Oregon game, but uh, they, they've bounced back and they're looking pretty good. Um, they're kind of sneaking into this contender spot in the Pac-12, which is, is definitely caught me by surprise. Yeah, uh, very surprised that Washington's really doing anything. I was not expecting this. Uh, very nice to see competition in that conference, though. As I stated earlier, none of it's college football playoff competition, but it is very fun. To, it's a very fun conference to watch football in because every game is very close, and you never know who's going to win. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then we move on. Uh, UCLA, obviously, tough loss to Arizona. Uh, they dropped down to 16 uh, from number 12, which honestly, you know, losing to an unranked Arizona team that has not been very good this season, uh, I would have expected them to drop a little bit more. But I also understand keeping them ahead of the teams that they did, you know, keeping them ahead of Washington, uh, Notre Dame, Florida State. I get it. So uh, 16 is where UCLA is at. Yeah, that's a fair. That, uh, I don't. I like. I do like them being there. It's a good ranking for them. I believe they were only still a two loss team. Yes. Yeah, that was their second yeah. loss. That's a good ranking for them. Uh, yeah, they lost to an unranked Arizona, but um, you know we'll uh, we'll see how they can play out the rest of this year. Yeah, and and there's definitely some some good things to look for uh, with UCLA. Um, they're five and two in the. The conference, so they're uh, they're still in fourth place, uh, tied with uh, a couple of teams for fourth place. But um, we'll move on to number fifteen, Kansas State, who uh, they've been making a, a pretty good move towards the top. Um, they obviously uh, had a a couple of big wins in the past couple of weeks, um, and Adrian Martinez looks great. Um, but yeah, there's not too much to say about this Kansas State team. Obviously, they're performing pretty well. Um, the loss last week to Texas kind of threw them off their course, uh, and then the loss to TCU uh, four weeks ago. Now, um, it, it's been tough. But those are two teams that uh, I would personally say are the top two teams in the Big Twelve. So um, I think Kansas State. Uh, it's pretty generous, honestly, putting them at fifteen. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think they've earned it. Yeah, that, I have to agree. Very generous being put at 15. But they are – they have two very good quality losses. I hate I hate that phrase, but it is true. Their losses are pretty good. Yeah, um, and then their third loss is to Tulane. So another ranked opponent, uh, and that was yeah. a close one early in the season. Yeah. Uh, then we'll go on to Brock's uh, Rebels at number 14, Ole Miss. See, this is a part of the rankings I don't fully like too much. I, Ole Miss, okay, I can see them being at 14. Close game to Alabama. Blown out by uh, LSU in the second half. I can see them being there, but the two teams we lost to was number eight and number six, and they put us at 14. Spoiler alert. Uh, Spoiler alert. It's fine. We're getting to it anyway. Well, they don't know which one's which, so. Um, but they're two highly ranked teams, 
and they have us behind North Carolina, Oregon, and Penn State. And I think our quality of losses are better than both Penn State and Oregon's. And I think we should be at 12 and North Carolina at 11, followed by Oregon and Penn State, but I don't make the rankings. Yeah. Uh, I personally think that Ole Miss is kind of in the spot that they should be. Uh, obviously, you know, two top 10 losses is tough to it, – it's tough to say that they should be at 14. But Utah, they've showed out. They, they've had a couple of good games as well. They should be 10 for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Penn State jumping to 11 is questionable. I agree with you that North North Carolina should be 11. Um, and I, I, I kind of see it as Ole Miss 14, Penn State 13. Oregon twelve and North Carolina eleven. Uh, I I, I want to give credit to Penn State because they they have had good weeks outside of their losses. They they just shut out Maryland thirty to zero, so they they were rewarded heavily for that. But I do kind of think they deserve it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to change again here in the next few weeks. Ole Miss, blow, let's just say Ole Miss goes into Arkansas, blows out Arkansas. You know the games that every week week they change, but uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And and with the way it's set up right now, uh, the the top half being thirteen through one, I could see it not moving uh, very much for the rest of the year. Um, yeah, until uh, rivalry week and um, and uh, conference championships. Yeah, conference championships. This probably won't move. For I mean I know rivalry week is next week, but I mean really, only probably the top thirteen will stay the same. Yeah. Um. So number thirteen, uh, I already said these. You know, thirteen through ten, but thirteen North Carolina, it, it is where they should be. Uh. Obviously, you could say that at nine and one, um, they should be higher. I agree, but. You know they're in the range they should be. They're not a top ten team. Yeah. Uh, but um, I think they should be at eleven. But I'm not going to argue um that they should be over Penn State and Oregon because uh, I do value Oregon and Penn State's uh, two losses. Yeah. Um. Oh, excuse me. I have to agree with you. I think uh to basically reiterate what you said i think 11 through 15 all of those could be interchangeable and we would all agree yeah for sure so um we're just going to kind of rush past these to try and get into the top 10 so oregon's at 12 they should be lost to number 25 they shouldn't be as penalized as losing to an unranked opponent um penn state at 11 um you know you could argue whatever but you shut out Maryland 30 to 0. You get rewarded. And they did. But uh we'll move into the top ten. And number ten, Utah. The Utes. Yeah. I like I like, I like Utah at ten, for sure. Um obviously the the early loss in the season to Florida, um, it, it looks really bad now because Florida sucks. But um I think you can cut them some slack. Uh, obviously, the swamp's a tough place to go to, especially in week one. But they've bounced back really well. They've had some great wins. They, they, 
they've given USC their only loss, who's a team we'll get to soon. And yeah, I think Utah's really good and could definitely shake some things up with the Pac-12 uh, come championship week. Yeah, I really like Utah there. Um, I, you know, personally, as we show in our, our own top tens, I would flip Clemson and Utah because I think if Utah and Clemson were to meet in a bowl game, Utah would win. But that's just personal opinion. But I, I mean, agree. right right now, I definitely think, I think what we uh, said earlier, top 15, 16 really will probably stay the same through bowl season. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't see much shifting happening unless obviously one of these teams um, has a tough loss. Uh, obviously, um, Utah, Oregon is this weekend, so you could see those two teams flip possibly, uh, or you could see Oregon maybe drop out of that top 13. But um, no matter what uh, happens there, um, we get to, uh, so yeah, number 10, or sorry, number nine, Clemson. Um, you know, in my ranking, I had Clemson at nine. I think that's right where they should be. Uh, Clemson and Alabama, though Clemson has one loss, Alabama has two. Um, they are probably going to sit next to each other for the rest of the season. Definitely. Um, they're both good teams, but they're having a bit of an off year. I think we can both agree on that. Uh, I think. I think uh, the difference between them is next year Alabama will probably be better. They will probably make the changes that need to be made while Clemson stays kind of stagnant, kind of, you know, goes again. Can, can go undefeated to the ACC, but, you know, you also have some other teams on the come up. Maybe lose another game, maybe another two games, and you know, we'll, we'll have to see next year. But uh, I think I agree with you. They're going to be next to each other. Have a, they're going to have a fun Orange Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, yeah, that leads us to Bama at eight. And once again, right where they should be. Um, two losses, two teams that are ranked ahead of them. Uh, so, yeah, Bama's in the right place. Uh, obviously, uh, they won in Oxford this weekend. So you, you get some brownie points for that. You get to move up one spot only because Oregon lost. But, yeah, they didn't do anything that would propel them above anybody else. Yeah, um, I just uh, – I'm just going to go ahead and spoil the next ranking as well. Um, I really um, I really just haven't seen too much with USC. Southern Cal, good team, big transfer uh, class, transfer, good coach. First year of this too. Um, I just think Alabama – I think another one, like if they were to meet in a neutral site in a bowl game, I think Alabama would be able to beat them, but again, that's just a personal opinion. They take into account everything and, you know, their whole method. I just go by who I think would win if they were to play head-to-head. Yeah, I, I get it. And, and USC, um, I, I think that we all have a little bit of the East Coast bias, you know. Um, yeah. You're, you're, in the, you're in Mississippi. I'm in Georgia. So – we don't get uh, much opportunity to watch those, you know, 1030 Pac-12 primetime games. Yeah. But USC plays a lot of them. And they're blowing teams out of the water uh, week in and week out, uh, you know, other than uh, a couple exceptions. But 
you know, they play a, a one in eight Colorado team. And of course, they just beat the brakes off of them. But uh, we'll move to number six, uh, LSU. And, and personally, I thought that with LSU playing such a close game to an unranked Arkansas team and USC also playing an unranked team, you know, granted, Colorado is much worse than Arkansas. Um, absolutely blown them out of the water. I think that should have moved USC to six. Well, I think uh, what last week showed us the Ohio State Ohio State game is they do take the weather into opinion or into their opinions, and sh- that it shows you know LSU went into the weather changed dramatically over literally overnight in Arkansas. It went from a beautiful. 60 degree weather day to it dropped below 40 during game time and they got snow that morning you know the field was iced so i think that definitely uh shows what all they take into account when they make the rankings yeah i agree um but we'll move on to number five tennessee um i feel like the top five was very predictable uh after these games were done you know once tcu won uh, obviously, Tennessee had a great week, but uh, you're not going to go over uh, an undefeated Power Five. Yep, I agree. So, I mean, Tennessee. Great. Oh, go ahead. So, I was going to ba- basically reiterate great game, looked great. And at the end of the day, the top four will be who's undefeated. And I think whoever in top four loses first, Tennessee takes their spot because they lost to number one. Yeah, so um, TCU, like I said, was at four. Uh, they earned it. They beat Texas, uh, ranked opponent, stay undefeated. Um, I, I think TCU is the real deal. Uh, they didn't put up a ton of points, but I still think they're very good. Uh, I, I don't see them losing any more of the games. I think Texas was their biggest test uh, here at the end of that schedule. So uh, TCU will probably hold on to that four spot unless they lose, um, which is what you know, all of Tennessee is hoping for. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, that test, that, that they definitely had a test there in Austin, playing in front of, you know, 105,000 Texas fans. They will get out of there with the win, though it was 17 to 10, not really showing their their uh, big, power, powerful offense that they've been showing all season. They were still able to win the game. And, I mean, that's what matters is they were able to go into a very hostile environment and come out with the win. Yeah, and and on their remaining schedule for TCU, you got Baylor uh, this coming weekend. You got Iowa State uh, the week after that. And then uh, we'll most likely see them in the Big 12 championship game, uh, especially with second place being Kansas State at 5-2. and two. Um, I don't see them falling out. Uh, so, actually, yeah, they've, they've clinched a spot in that championship game. So, um, we will... Go on to the top three, which is obvious. Uh, Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia. So Michigan three, Ohio State two, Georgia one. Uh, we all saw it coming. I, in my opinion, I think that Michigan should be over Ohio State uh, on my predictions. Uh, I, I did exactly what I thought the college football playoff committee would do, which is just keep Ohio State there because uh, the last thing they need is a bunch of fans, you know, scratching up their tree. Yeah, well, I went with what I believe is right, um, not what the government tells me. So, <laughs> um, I mean, I think Michigan's the better team, though whoever wins stays in the playoffs, so we'll see that. But 
I think it's going to be a great game, and I think we'll see how good Michigan's defense truly is when they play Ohio State here next week. Yeah, I agree. Um, we'll move. Uh, anything you want to say about Georgia, number one? Um, anybody who thought they shouldn't be number one at any point in the season is terribly wrong. Yeah, they had a few uh, hiccups there in midseason, but uh, I think I said this earlier to quote Brian Kelly, winners aren't made in September, they're made in October, November, or championships. And this is where everything is coming together for Georgia. Everybody's back together playing for each other, and they're looking much more comfortable than they did there in the middle of the season. Looking much more, much like they did against Oregon in the beginning of the season opener. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the whole team just seems to be firing all cylinders. The defense is solid. Um, the offense is is actually doing what's right and what they need to do to win. Uh, we saw what the offense did last week against Tennessee, and uh, you know they they put up the points they needed, but they didn't keep going. Uh, this game, Kirby wanted to run it up. Forty five nineteen final score. It, it's not surprising. Um, to see them win by that much, it, I think it is more surprising that uh, we do often see Kirby kind of take his foot off the gas. Um, <laughs> and you know, we saw it against Tennessee, but uh, he didn't this week, he didn't give in, and I think he just wanted to show everybody that uh, they don't give up. Yeah, I definitely think that was a good move by him to make sure he didn't get out, step off the gas pedal here to prove, you know. We are the best team in the nation. No one should even, everyone should be scared to play us when they play us. You know, that's what he tried to prove that win over Mississippi State. And I really like that because at some point you do need to just prove. Because I mean, he was like those, like I was saying earlier, those middle middle of the year games where he was winning by touchdown, three points, whatever. Because he was kind of, he was just kind of being soft, you know, kind of letting them, just kind of letting them be in the game, you know, keep his players healthy or whatever. But now he just I guess they feel like they got something to prove. And going forward for Georgia here, their next game uh is who do they play this weekend? Uh they play Kentucky. So Okay. Is it home, right? Uh no, it's in Lexington. Okay, so I'm not too worried about that game for Georgia. Um Kentucky just they've been falling apart ever since the old miss loss, like I said earlier. They just Cannot get every. They just can't get it put together. I think they will go in there and make another. The next two weeks they're at Lexington, and then I believe they're uh in Athens for the Tech game. And I mean it's Georgia Tech, so yeah. I think they'll make two statement victories. Have come go basically have another home game playing in Atlanta for the SEC championship. I don't yeah. think whose offense is quite experienced and ready to play Georgia's defense. They really haven't played a team that's okay. Let me rephrase that. No one in the nation has played a team like Georgia's defense. So they played. I don't know. Good- I, I feel like I feel like Michigan and Georgia have uh, are quite parallel on the defensive side. Uh, they're very similar, but uh, I think that Georgia's offense edges out Michigan. Uh, I still think that Michigan's offense is a little bit one dimensional. We haven't seen JJ McCarthy have to throw the ball. Uh, he's he's primarily doing it with his legs, and um, we saw that this week Georgia doesn't have to run. 
Um, they only carried the ball 33 times, 179 yards, and, and most of those yards came from Ladd McConkey's uh, 70-yard rushing touchdown. So Stetson, he did it in the air, and I think that's another reason that Kirby didn't really take the, the foot off the pedal, is that he wanted to show everyone that it's not just a run game that they've got. Stetson Bennett can throw the ball, and he can win games. They didn't take him out this game, even though they had a pretty good lead in the fourth. They just kept going. Yeah, but uh, what I was going to ask, basically, until the national championship, Georgia really has – shouldn't really have to worry because the next two games, yeah, they're away, but not really – first off, not really in an intimidating environment, and second, not really against good teams. And then their next game after that's the SEC championship in Atlanta, which is a home game for Georgia. And then if they, they'll most likely end up in the Peach Bowl – which is going to, again, be another home game for them. So they're looking at really even Georgia Tech will be a home game for them. So they're looking at one more away game. And then basically – Well, Georgia Tech is a home game. It's in Athens. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, they have – sorry, I misspoke. Um, yeah, so they have one away game and then three home games basically. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's lining up very well for them to get uh, uh, back into the national championship. Uh, it's just about who they play, and I, I don't think it really matters. I think they're going to win. Honest, I, I agree, but I honestly uh, believe – I, I think – well, I don't know what they're going to do here because your options are one, either Ohio State or Michigan will win, one will lose. Who would you rather see in the matchup? Uh, Georgia versus Tennessee, part two, which would be a hell of a game, or Georgia versus Michigan or versus Ohio State. Yeah, that's a tough thing because, you know, we can we can say that the top four is locked up all we want. But if but one of the teams in the in Ohio State versus Michigan, if one of them kind of takes a, a a big win, the other one might fall out and maybe Tennessee sneaks up in there. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, well, that that uh, I think they refer to it as the game. Um, that's going to be a big game for really the playoffs to just see who George is going to stop in the championship. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we'll move on from just uh, talking about the teams. Uh, we've ended the last uh, last week, and now this week uh, we're going to end it again with uh, grading our top 10 predictions. So, um, Brock, if you want to go ahead and uh, give out your grade, uh, we'll start off with you. Well, I got a 30%, but this time I got all top 10 right. Yes, all of your teams made the top 10. It just, the order wasn't quite there. Uh, I went, yeah, yeah, Clemson at 10, Utah at 9, Southern California at 8, Alabama 7, LSU 6, Tennessee 5, Ohio State 4, TCU 3, Michigan 2, Georgia 1. Yeah, I don't think it's that bad. Um, Obviously, you made some bold choices. Uh, especially in the top four, but I, I don't well, see it being that wildly wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think there's an argument for most any rankings like this. This The one thing everybody can agree on, Georgia's definitely number one and Tennessee's definitely number five. Every other rank, I think, can be argued. Yeah. Um, and- I mean, I think I said earlier my reasoning for Utah-Clemson. I think Utah, I genuinely think Utah's a better team than Clemson. Then I think Alabama's a better team than Southern California, but Southern Cal's better than Utah and Clemson, in my opinion, and we'll see that this weekend. And then LSU, 
They they won the SEC West. They've really been playing up. They obviously beat Alabama, and I think they're better than them. Tennessee five. They're the next best team out. Uh, Ohio State. I put it four because I think I think the defense of Michigan is better than Ohio State than Ohio State's. I think that will give them the edge in the game, but them playing at Ohio State this year, I'm pretty sure they are, is going to be the biggest deciding factor in that game to see if Michigan can play in a home play at a, in a away game like that. But I yeah. kind of did Ohio State TCU because, you know, go TCU. They won, yeah. and, all, and so I wanted to give them a three, the three spot. I, I like it. You know, you know what? Go Horned Frogs. The good old horny frogs. All right. We're going to move on to my grade. Uh, I got an 80%. <laughs> 8 out of 10. Uh, starts 10, Utah. That's good. All right. 9, Clemson. Good. Bama at 8. Got it. The only spot that I messed up is the 6 and 7. I thought that USC having such a huge blowout and LSU having such a low-scoring game, really tight all the whole game, I thought USC could jump LSU. Um, but like Brock said earlier, the weather definitely uh, had a, a factor in this. Um, the weather was horrible for that LSU game, and I think the playoff committee rewarded them a little bit for that. Um, just like we talked about with Ohio State having that close game in Northwestern last week, is that... Um, the the playoff committee will will give you a break. They'll give you one, but they'll give you a break. And then uh, I've got Tennessee at five, TCU four, Michigan three, Ohio State two, Georgia one. And I said earlier, uh, I think that that Michigan should be number two, but uh, I thought that the college football playoff committee would just keep Ohio State at two. What did you think about my top ten? I think yours was you, you definitely were able to read more. You you were looking more in the committee's head, and uh, you know that's what you're supposed to do for these. But I don't like the committee, so. But uh, I mean, yours were I I like them. I agree with them. So I think we had a pretty solid one. My thirty percent. We're getting better. We're getting better. Well, so the it's the same as you got last week. But hey, hey, progress, man. You know what? So, I'm, I'm doing it. I told you last week that maybe you'll earn some extra credit. I'm giving you the extra credit on TCU at three. Let's go. You get a 40. Let's go. Yeah. I think uh, I also kind of think Ohio State, Michigan are going to be at two and three no matter what, just for when they play their rivalry game just to make it bigger. It's kind of like when they had Georgia, Tennessee at one and two. I think they were the one and two in the nation. But other people can make the argument that Georgia or Michigan, deserve, or sorry, Ohio State or Michigan deserve to be at that two spot, or whatever it was. Ohio State was two, and Georgia was three. Oh, I was thinking that was still the AP poll, right? That week. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Anything else you got for the people, Brock? Man, I wish I did. Not not tonight. I'm sure I'll think of something to say the <laughs> next time. All right. Well, just to remind everybody, 
you can check us out on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and you know, new episodes. Uh, we're going to continue to do Wednesdays, maybe early December. Uh, I think we're going to try and do Mondays and Fridays. So uh, we'll keep you updated with that. So make sure you check out the social medias. Uh, that's where you'll stay up to date on uh, everything that's happening with Second and Short. For now, we'll catch you next week. See how everything shakes out.